So we continue uh, uh, with the lesson on taqwa, the ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Sayyidina Abi Huraira radiallahu anhu, qala qila ya Rasulullah, man akramun nasi, qala atqahum, faqalu laysa an hadha nas'aluk, qala fayusufu nabiyullah ibn nabiyullah ibn nabiyullahi ibn khalilillah. Yusufu so this is an inter- interesting hadith um, narrated by Sayyidina Abu Hurairah in which he mentioned that someone once said, uh, O Messenger of Allah, uh, who, are, who, who is the most noble of people? Who is the most noble of people? And the wording is, it was said, or Rasulullah was asked. Why did they not say who asked? It's not because they didn't know, because it's because there's a sort of deficiency in the question. And so this is the adab of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum is that they didn't use to unnecessarily expose other people's faults. Uh, because the, 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 the method in which the question was asked is, conveys a little bit of jahiliyyah still left in the person. Wallahu alam. And we don't, I don't say that to denigrate any of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Rather, their tarbiyah was still in progress. With them, they came, they got their tarbiyah and they got better which is a lot more than what we can say about ourselves. Um, so Rasulullah ﷺ was asked, who's the most noble of people? And he said, وسلم, without skipping a beat, he said, Atqahum, the ones who have or fear God the most. This is the answer to this question. So the questioner was like, oh, that's not what I'm asking. Meaning what? He wanted to ask about lineage, specifically nobility and lineage. Uh, whereas Rasulullah ascribed nobility to what? The fear of Allah Ta'ala. And this is the text of the Quran. In Akramakum atqakum. The most noble of you uh, in the sight of Allah Ta'ala is the one who fears him the most. So he said, No, 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 we're not asking about that. We're asking about lineage. So then Rasulullah he's like the doctor, he's treating the patient, you know. So the first answer he gave him was to dislodge his mind from the track it was on. That one tribe is better than the other. Then he gives him a second answer to also dislodge his mind from the track it's on. He said it's Yusuf Islam because he's a Nabi and he's a son of a Nabi and he's a son of a Nabi who's a son of the Khalil of Allah Ta'ala, Yusuf the son of Ya'qub the son of uh, Ishaq the son of Ibrahim alayhim salam. And says, no, 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 that's not what I'm asking about. I'm asking about the Arabs. Uh, and so Rasulullah says, oh, you're asking about... So he said, no, no, that's not what I'm asking about. Rasulullah says, oh, are you asking about the, 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 the medal of the Arabs? And he says, yeah. He says, then just know who, that, that, who, uh, that the best of you in Jahiliyyah are the best of you in Islam, uh, as long as you bother to learn and understand the religion. 
meaning the same habits that cause you to be successful in jahiliyyah are the same habits which will give you success in, in the deen as long as you understand the deen. This is why another reason why it's not good to just give people the stage if they don't understand. Give them the stage in the world of business, in the world of other things, that's fine. But in terms of deen in the masjid and things like that, if a person understands the deen, then they will go very far uh, with, their, w- with their own practice of Islam and they'll help other people. If they don't, if they don't bother to understand Islam, then it's like the, the tools that Allah gave them that are good, they're not going to be able to use them properly. And this is an issue, we have this issue like celebrity or whatever, celebrity culture. Okay, fine, someone who's like a professional sports player or a celebrity, if they become Muslim, we kind of be like, oh, this is amazing. And like that person, we put them on a pedestal and on a platform. And it's obviously good to honor somebody who becomes Muslim or somebody who is, maybe was a Muslim from before, um, but because they're a celebrity or because they're something else, we give them a platform. Um, that's fine, and there's some khair in it, but only for the ones who actually understand what they're saying and what they're talking about. Some people, some people are like, you have some people, I mean, what, I don't want to name names, even though when someone does something publicly, there's nothing wrong in doing so. Uh, and really, some of these cases are so egregious, there's no need to do so. So if there's somebody who is like, quote-unquote, a Muslim, and he has a show on like TV or something like that, and he you know, talks nonsense, like, oh, you know, I think, you know, a big mistake of this age is people taking their religious convictions too seriously. Okay, that's kind of like kufr. It doesn't matter if you're like, have a show on TV, you know? That's not, that's not, that's not really worth, that's not a person that's worth, like, giving a platform from the masjid or from the mimbar or whatever. Um, These things, these types of things, unfortunately, they're very common in the age we're in. Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to denounce everybody all the time. Although I think that, that statement was especially egregious. But, you know, you don't have to denounce people. Like, for example, if you have a professional sports player who's a Muslim, you know, you don't have to, like, give them the platform to talk about deen. You can definitely recognize them and things. But you don't have to give them the platform to talk about deen. That doesn't mean you hate them. It's just if someone plays basketball for a living, they're obviously not going to be, like, a, a, you know, erudite scholar of theology. And some of them are, like, you know, mashallah, um, Houston, right, Hakim Olajuwon, he's actually a very practicing person, and he did, and so it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm, like, I have an axe to grind against people. There are some people, actually, who are the mistak of this hadith, that they actually, they make good on their Islam. I mean, he's not a convert, but, I mean, he came, came closer to Islam later on in his career, that they make good on their Islam, and uh, 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 they do bother to understand the deen, and that's what makes them the best when they practice Versus afterward. But remember Rasulullah put that, that shart, he put that condition that you have to bother to learn what the deen actually teaches rather than just uh, you know, freestyling it. On uh, Sayyidina Abi Sayyid al-Khudri radiallahu ta'ala anhu, anin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, inna dunya, qala inna dunya hulwatun khadiratun, wa inna allaha mustakhlifukum fiha, فَيَنْظُرْ كَيْفَ تَعْمَلُونَ فَاتَّقُوا الدُّنْيَا وَاتَّقُوا النِّسَاءَ فَإِنَّ أَوَّلَ فِتْنَةِ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ كَانَتْ فِي النِّسَاءِ رَوَاهُ مُسْلِمْ Sayyidina Abu Sa'id al-Khudri رضي الله تعالى عنه He narrates from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that indeed the dunya, the material world 
the, the, the lower realm. So the dunya is not just only the material world. Because there's parts of the material world, for example, if somebody goes to Makkah Mukarramah and looks at the Kaaba and says, oh, it's just dunya. If what the Kaaba is to you, only a money-making opportunity, then it's for you, it's dunya. If what the Kaaba for you is a, an object that uh, uh, reminds you, it's an emblem of the deen that reminds you of Allah Ta'ala, then it's not part of the dunya. If a person is married and he takes care of his wife and children because, you know, uh, he wants to impress his wife and children or impress other people about how he takes care of them, then that's the dunya. If he does it because he feels responsibility, because it's a commandment of Allah and his Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to take good care of them, then it's not. But, you know, everything has a natural limit to how far it goes as part of the deen. You need to get to work. That's why your Toyota Camry is part of your deen. Because you have to earn a living and pay your bills. If that Toyota Camry turns into a Lexus, then the differential between the two of them may be dunya for some people. If you're like the president of a country, then maybe even the limousine is like a bare minimum for you. Right? It depends on a person, their circumstances, whatever. Right? Uh, if somehow the Lexus actually like, makes financially more sense for you or, uh, uh, you know, it was... You know, it's something that, like, you know, you have some sort of condition, and like, you're very sensitive to whatever, and the, the temperature and the climate control is not good for that person. It may be the, 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 you know, it may be just part of what they need. Whereas another person, maybe even the Corolla or the Camry or Corolla or whatever, is too much for them. You understand? It depends on your context, but the point is, is the material world, the part of it that you need in order to uh, uh, execute your, 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 your dean properly. That's not what we mean from the dunya, but we mean like the perks and the extras on top of it. And not all of the dunya is haram, by the way. So even if you don't need to buy the Lexus, you can buy it. It's fine. Not all of the dunya is haram. But the halal part of the dunya is like food. Okay? Haram is like the poison, and the halal part of the dunya is like food. Poison in any amount is going to harm you. And in relatively small amounts, it has the potential to kill you. Food is one of those things, like if you ate it, you ate it. But like if you're, you know, drinking a six-pack of Pepsi every morning before you wake, when you wake up and in the evening before you go to sleep, it's probably going to kill you as well. Whereas if you have a Pepsi once a week, that same Pepsi is not going to, you know, probably most people, uh, it's not going to harm them. Uh, so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that's why he, he warned people about the dunya. Not all of it's haram. But even the halal part of it, if taken in excess and without common sense, it's going to kill you. And in general, for your spiritual health, it's in general better to cut down whenever you can. If someone's like, oh, you know, like, oh, food, that's the dunya. I haven't eaten for like four days. Uh, okay, you're going too far with it. But, you know, let's be honest. You and me are not in that problem right now, right? Uh, very few people get to that point. That's, that's an issue for the people who get there, that's fine, but most of us don't have that issue. Uh, and uh, lest we uh, just criticize people who are a little bit heavier, uh, it manifests itself in many other ways. I know brothers, I know brothers who like buy, like, mashallah, like 10 pairs of sneakers in like three months. Uh, um, and I tell them, you should be ashamed of yourself, you know? And, uh, uh, you know, th these types of things, everyone has these. So you can't, like, necessarily say buying 10 pairs of shoes in a month or, uh, is haram. But, 
at some point, like, you see, like, some sign that something is imbalanced. Whereas the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ teaches you, uh, just like in order to be healthy, it actually teaches you the less food you eat, the better. Uh, uh, really, essentially, after the bare minimum, the less food you eat is the, the, the less food you eat, the better. Just like that, spiritually, the teaching of the 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 Sunnah is that the 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 less dunya, the better. And this is part of the prophetic philosophy that uh, um, Rasulullah asked for barakah. He didn't ask for a lot. He didn't ask for a lot of stuff. There's only two things, one in the Quran and one in the Hadith that's ever recorded that, that Rasulullah asked for an increase in anything. One is ilm, and that's by the commandment of Allah Ta'ala uh, where he says, وَقُرْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي ilma." Allah Ta'ala says, say, O Muhammad alayka salam, say, my Lord, increase me in knowledge. So knowledge is one of the things that a person is excused for never uh, feeling satiated from, uh, and encouraged never to be satiated from. And the second is, uh, the second is milk. The, the dua of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa that when he used to drink milk, he would say, uh, Allahum barak lana fihi wa zidna minhu. That's the dua for drinking milk. Oh Allah, put barakah in it for us and increase, increase us in it. And the, the milk itself, in the symbolism and imagery of, of, of the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, it's a metaphor for the fitrah, for the, for the original and organic human nature of a person, which is considered to be good. Unlike Christianity, we don't consider a person to be born of original sin. We consider the fitrah to be a good thing. And... Uh, um, it come, and the reason, I'm not just saying that because I want to sound all, 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 all philosophical and, and deep and like, you know, spiritually and stuff. But uh, uh, this is actually a, a narration with regards to the Isra and Mi'raj that Rasulullah was offered by Sayyidina Jibreel three drinks. And uh, 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 one was uh, water, the second was milk, and the third was wine. And Rasulullah chose the milk. And Sayyidina Jibreel السلام, said to him, had, he, had you drank, drank the water, your ummah would have, uh, uh, would have turned, it neglected the dunya to the point of its own destruction. Everyone would have gone out and starved themselves to death and become monks and nobody, you know, nobody would have uh, run society, civilization, you would have all died out. And had you drank the wine, they would have become materialistic and hedonistic and uh, 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 they would have deviated from the path in that way. Whereas the milk is a happy medium. There's so much nutrient in it. It's filling. It can substitute for a meal. Uh, real milk, not the 2% that, you know, the 2% that, that we have nowadays, 1% skim milk that the ulama joke that you can make wudu from it. It's closer to water. But like actual milk, if you drink an actual cup of milk, it's, it's, it has enough dunya to, you know, give you everything you need. But it's not going to become drunk and cause you to like marry, marry making and like party and go crazy and like whatever, you know. It's a, a, a good balance. It's it's a, it's a, it's a mod, it's it's a balance that gives you what you need and spares you what you don't. So at any rate, so that's why I say that. I just say that that's not something I kind of made up in order to be all interpretive. It's actually something also a teaching of the Sunnah. So anyway, uh, uh, coming back to the Hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said the dunya. Right? And what did we say? The dunya is what's beyond what you need from the material world. The dunya is sweet. And it's lush. It's beautiful. 
uh, and Allah Ta'ala, he put you in charge of it. He said, why don't you watch this for me for some time? Not that Allah is not watching, but you know, he said, here, I give you enough power to control what's going on around you. Here. So Allah Ta'ala put you in charge of it for a time. He trusted you with it. And he's watching, how are you going to, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to, how are you going to deal with this? Um, which is, which is, which is what's happening right now. Allah is watching. Everybody has some sort of responsibility. Allah gave all of us some sort of control. Uh, you know, one day you'll be married, you'll have a family, you'll have children, you'll go from being the, uh, you know, you'll go from being the, uh, um, whatever, the mail, working in the mailroom at work and making coffee as an intern. One day you'll actually be a manager and you'll have people underneath you. Allah is watching like, how did you behave when you were at the bottom of the chain? And how did you behave, how did you change when you got to the top? And change is not necessarily bad, people can change for the better as well. But uh, uh, just like that, they can change for the worse. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives this test to everybody. And then He says, Jalla wa, uh, He says, alayhi salatu was salam, in a wording that's probably not like the most politically correct uh, or, or suited to the modern sensibility, but uh, it's very rooted in common sense. And it's the kalam of Nubuwa. So uh, I really don't care what, what uh, you know, how it's going to look on CNN. Uh, um, why? Because there's a lot of hikmah and there's benefit in it for us. Uh, he, said, he said that uh, the, the, the dunya is sweet and it's lush. And Allah has trusted you with it. And he's watching what, what you're going to do with it. So fear Allah Ta'ala when it comes to women and fear Allah when it comes to... Uh, 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 sorry, fear Allah when it comes to the dunya and fear Allah when it comes to women. And he reminds the Ummah, he says, the first fitna of Banu Israel is with regards to women. Now, before we throw up the flag of uh, misogyny and uh, patriarchy on the play, try to understand what it means. It doesn't mean women are evil. If it meant that, we would have had a large amount of corroborating material from the Quran and from the Sunnah of the Prophet extolling how evil women are and how horrible they are and how their original sin is their fault and they're why uh, Sayyidina Adam got kicked out of uh, Jannah and they have this fault and that fault and none of that's there. That's, some of it is there in the Christian and Jewish material for sure. It's not there in ours. Uh, uh, but the advice is for a number of reasons that fear the dunya and fear women. Why? Uh, because first of all, uh, a woman in the household of her husband, specifically and in general, a person can abuse them much easier than they abuse another person and get away with it. And again, people will throw up the flag of misogyny and this and that. The fact of the matter is it's just how it is. Women, some wives abuse their husbands, you know, and stuff like that. It happens, but it's the exception. The rule is generally the other way around. Why? Because generally speaking, a man has power over his wife even if it's the most like modern, progressive, liberal, enlightened couple in the, in, the, in the world, when the rubber hits the road, human beings are human beings. They act in certain ways that are very normal and predictable, and those things happen. And if you have any, uh, 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 what you call, doubt about this, just open the news. It's every, what is the whole Harvey Weinstein thing? The guy has been doing, like, got like a serial, like, barbarian type dude who's been doing this stuff serially for like how many years 
and it, like overnight, it's like this guy has been abusing everyone, uh, uh, and nobody said anything. Why? Because they're all afraid, and this, and that, and the other thing. It proves, you know, uh, this is just a thing. When people have power, they do these things. Okay, and then. People call me up at night in the middle of the night. Oh, Sheikh, I heard about this scandal. I heard about that scandal. You know, at least Harvey Weinstein, you could say, well, he's not a Muslim. I heard about this and that in the Muslim community as well. Well, guess what? Allah knows best what's true, what's not true. I'm not a judge, so thankfully I'm not uh, uh, obliged by Allah Ta'ala to, uh, you know, uh, scrutinize uh, every claim and every counterclaim of every person. Uh, I just tell people in general, uh, you know, if something wrong happened, then that's not right, and victims should receive justice. And if uh, uh, something wrong didn't happen, then people should stop spreading fitna. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, as far as in the middle, who scrutinizes claims, I don't have the authority to do that. And I know for a fact that trial by public opinion never works out. It doesn't actually benefit victims. Even when something wrong happens, it doesn't benefit victims at all. So, whatever. Uh, but the point is, is this, is that we ignore these hadith of Rasulullah to our own detriment. Unless the sisters think that they get off the hook very easily, and yes, the men are, mashallah, doing all the abuse, this applies to you as well. Because has a mother-in-law ever not abused her daughter-in-law? Or vice versa? Or have women never backbitten one another or talked garbage about one another, knowing that they're going to get away with it? Uh, much easier than if they uh, take on the patriarchy or whatever, right? It's just, it just has to do with what? It has to do with uh, 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 Rasulullah knowing that women are uh, uh, going to be in this position of, uh, uh, of basically being taken advantage of and oftentimes they're not going to have any recourse to anything. So he's reminding the ummah, don't, don't go there. Don't do that. It's not worth it. There's no benefit in it for you, for them. It's not okay. It's not cool. It's going to end up destroying you. Uh, it's the part of the dunya that's going to destroy more people than anybody else. And he reminds the ummah why? Because the first and greatest fitna of the people of Banu Israel, uh, to which it seems Mr. Weinstein belongs as well, was, uh, 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 was what? Was in their treatment of women. And Rasulullah doesn't, and Allah Ta'ala Himself doesn't tell the stories of Bani Israel uh, uh, so that we can laugh and say, oh, look, Jews, ha ha ha. That's not the point of it. Those people were people who believed in Allah and they believed in His messengers and they also carried the, the message of revelation through difficult times. Rather, the reason their stories are told and their mistakes are pointed out are what? Are that Rasulullah said, you will follow the people who came before you hands breadth for hands breadth to the point where if they went into a lizard hole, you would have gone into a lizard hole just because they did it. And the Sahaba radiallahu anhum asked, uh, do you mean the Christians and the Jews and the Christians? And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa rhetorically asks, who else do you think I mean? Meaning, of course, that's who I mean. There's a, another narration of this hadith um, in which Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, you'll follow them hands breadth to hands breadth to the point if one of them openly uh, committed zina with his own mother, you would have done the same thing after, afterward. And Rasulullah didn't, if you like read the hadith, if you read like thousands of hadith afterward, you'll realize there's very few occasions in which he says things that are that harsh. Uh, in fact, usually he shies away from saying things like that. He had a lot of haya in him. 
just to say things like that, it was like over the top. There's some people when they talk, you know, they're always over the top in everything they say. And they go too far and they just like to be very like, like they have like a very, uh, uh, like a strange rhetorical flair that, that they use words in order to like um, exacerbate situations or, or exaggerate, you know, uh, what they're talking about or to gain some notoriety or attention. Rasulullah his speech is very sim simple. And he used to shy away from things like, like that. And he used to, when talking about the adab of, you know, uh, the adab of like using the restroom, he wouldn't say like urinate and defecate. He would say like, well, when one of you has to go out, or he would use some sort of kinaya or ishara, some sort of metaphor or allusion toward, toward those things because he didn't like mention of things like that. Uh, or, you know, instead of, you know, he wouldn't say things like, you know, sexual intercourse. He would say like, well, if one of you, uh, you know, goes to his wife, like he would use euphemisms like that. The only times when he would use uh, uh, um, harsh expressions like this is when it was needed in order to convey a message or uh, a teaching from the teachings of Revelation. So that's why Rasulullah said this was the first fitna from, from the fitna of Bani Israel. Uh, meaning what? You're all going to go through this. All of you are going to go through this. And lest a person lose sight of this fact, because this is contextually very relevant to us in a way it hasn't been in the past. Okay? The female form is completely commoditized. It is completely commoditized. It is used to sell all sorts of things. It's just used to sell stuff. If you want to buy a Mach 3 razor, why is there an attractive woman in the, uh, in the, in the advertisement for it? Why? Because the female form is for sale and it's used to sell things. That's a fact. That's something that has an effect on men. It has an effect on women as well. And it's very hypocritical uh, of people who on one side uh, wish to flaunt the, 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 the female form and throw it up into people's faces to the point where how a woman looks becomes essentially the primary, uh, uh, the primary and first thing that you form judgments about her based on um, and celebrate that. Uh, and then at the same time, at the same time, you want to say like, oh, you know, how dare you be attracted to women or treat, treat a woman as a consumer good or whatever. And obviously doing one doesn't justify the other, but philosophically these two things are inconsistent. This is one reason why I myself uh, uh, not only, and not like kind of like modernist progressive lip service. I genuinely, uh, I genuinely uh, uh, have respect for our sisters because brothers are like undercover brother, no beard, shaved beard, beard with like a baseball cap on so you look like, so like a hipster or something, and like jeans and a shirt, and you just be like random dude out, out, in, the, out in the street, right? When I was in high school, before I could grow a beard, I used to get pulled over by the cops because everyone thought I was Mexican. And, uh, you know, I just get harassed by them and, like, randomly pulled over and, like, oh, you fit the description of a drug dealer that we're looking for. I'm like, yeah, like all of them. Uh, you know, but now, alhamdulillah, because I have a beard and I dress traditionally, now the cops, like, harass me for being Muslim, for being, who, you know, who I am. Uh, um, you know, so brothers can, like, kind of randomly, like, taqiyya, like, dissimulate into society. Whereas sisters, mashallah, become like the, the basically like the, the finger that's like being poked in the eye of kufr, because what they're like we refuse to we refuse to uh, uh, you know 
participate in the system where our value is based on what we look like. That's why I have respect for that. Because you have to understand how, uh, how much of a slap it is in the face in the, entire, in the entire system of kufr for a woman to know that her form will get her ahead and you completely boycott it. Completely boycott it. Just like, you know, in Selma, we're not going to ride the bus anymore. So we're completely not going to, we're not going to, you know, like, we're going to boycott the system 100%. Which is why I'm not super excited about, like, you know, hijabi cover girl commercials. Why? Because you're kind of missing the point. You're, like, finding a way to make it back into the system, you know. Like, okay, if I sit in the like middle of the bus instead of the back of the bus, is that cool? You know, this is an entire system. There's something very wrong and flawed with it. You have to understand that. Uh, uh, and and by boycotting it, it's like boycotting capitalism at its like Freudian roots, uh, uh, because the whole idea of why is it that they put uh, they put women in the advertisement for everything is because they know that like it triggers subconscious uh, 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 means of pulling and pushing people in uh, 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 you know in, in getting them to do what you want, whether it's to vote for someone or whether it's to modify their behavior in a certain way or to buy something or whatever, uh, any of these types of things. It's a very, it's kind of very primarily pulls on a person, uh, both men and women, for different reasons, but both men and women, it very primarily uh, pulls, at, pulls at people in order to behave in a certain way. Men, be, for obvious reasons, and then women, for the reason uh, that, that like they see how much attention that, that these women who do these things get and nobody wants to get left behind or ignored or whatever. But f there's probably more to it than that. But I think it's, it should be open for a person who is halfway thinking why, why this is like there's more going on here than, than, is, uh, than, than first meets the eye. Uh, uh, so this admonition of Rasulullah wasallam to taqwa, to fear Allah Ta'ala when it comes to the dunya, and then fear Allah Ta'ala when it comes to the affair of women. Again, it's not like a very like a PC sounding soundbite, but I wish people would do it more often. Uh, and we ourselves as a community, we would be saved from so many more fitan and so many more tribulations if we were like uh, our aslaf and very careful in the way that we, uh, uh, that we dealt with women, both as men and as women. And Allah knows best. I will give an opportunity because I know this is probably jarring enough for the modern mindsetted person uh, 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 to hear that uh, if someone has like some misgivings or questions, instead of judging one another, uh, ask what your question is or what need you have for reconciliation and we'll attempt our best to uh, offer some explanation. You know, I actually, actually, uh, at the program, one of the sisters came to me and she said, she said, in the first day, and I don't fault her for it because this is like, this is the, the, this is the custom of the place we're at. You probably noticed, like, I just look at the men's section, right? And one of the sisters actually at that program in Turkey, she's like, Sheikh, you know, I think it would be better if you looked at the women's section because, uh, you know, uh, if you don't, then we don't feel engaged in this and that and the other thing. I said, what can I do? I'm sorry, this is a part of our tradition. Uh, and uh, uh, nobody is nobody is masum. Nobody is divinely protected from 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 error. And uh, you know, just because a person, a man, observes certain protocol, doesn't mean that he hates women or whatever. In fact, I've seen from the mashaykh the people who are probably the the ones who have the least problem. They're the ones who are most scrupulous in these issues. 
and that's probably why they have the least problems. And so, uh, uh, you know, we have in America celebrity culture and groupie culture and, you know, uh, people, you know, whatever, not observing the protocols, both men and women, and then bad stuff happens afterward, and then everyone's like, oh my God, the whole dean is a lie, and it's just men who are taking advantage of women, and blah, blah, blah. And the funny thing is that in the Muslim world, people know this. People have this common sense. Like, you know, if your 18-year-old daughter is like going to every single uh, 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 whatever uh, talk or lecture of the handsome young imam in the, in the masjid, you know, or whatever, um, and she's like, oh, can I go? He's having a private meeting in his house. No. What are you saying, Staffelah? Are you saying Sheikh is like an abuser? No, he's not. You're not going, though. Why? Because they have common sense about these things. Because people have lived in those places for centuries. They've dealt with imams for centuries. They've dealt with ulama for centuries. They've dealt with all of these things for centuries. They know if you, you, know, if you behave like recklessly, then dumb stuff happens. Uh, it's very summarized. You can write this down, right? If someone asks you, what did you learn from this class on Sufism? Write this down. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. What are you saying, Sheikh? The Imam is a bad guy and he's an abuser? No, he's good, whatever. I mean, if he knows what he's talking about, then by all means, benefit from his teaching. Benefit from his, uh, uh, you know, the hadiths you learned. You know, ask questions in the dars, all of this other stuff. Um, and then afterward, you know, uh, if the possibility comes up to meet at a hotel room or like, you know, you've been WhatsApp, WhatsApp uh, exchanging WhatsApp messages for, uh, you know, whatever, like between the hours of 1 and 3 in the morning, something went wrong in the middle. He should have known better. 95%. 5% of you also should have known better. Uh, uh, and so uh, that's something that like, we as a community have to mature because a lot of these experiences are really new. Uh, most masajid in America didn't even have imams in the 90s. And like, so we have, we're kind of going around the merry-go-round the first time. This will happen again and again and again. Whether, you know, again, I'm not commenting on specific case. I don't know, right? I'm not defending anyone. I'm not, not defending someone. I'm not whatever. I don't know. And I really, you know, this is from the... the I thank God every day that there's so many things I'm not responsible for. Uh, and I'm not a judge either. So, uh, uh, you know, people who are in those positions of authority in the community have the uh, obligation to investigate these things and figure them out. You know, I don't have access to anything that I should, you know, be able to scrutinize what happened, what didn't happen. And if you think I'm talking about one scandal, trust me, I know of like 12 of them going on right now involving imams and things like that. So don't, don't worry about that. What's the, what's the thing? On one extreme, all men are pigs and I hate every uh, man and they're all after the same thing and uh, they all use the religion in order to manipulate people and blah, 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 right? And the other extreme, oh, my sheikh is like an angel walking in the earth and he would never do anything like that. He would never think like that. He would never this. He would never that. And, you know, both of them are, like, rooted in some sort of, like, fantasy world. Uh, the first one is like a nightmare and the second one is a fantasy. Both of them are not true. They don't reflect actual reality. The reality is what? We're all here in the dunya. Everybody likes money. 
everybody likes, you know, every man likes having attention from women. Every woman likes having attention from men. There may be exceptions, but in general, that's the rule. Uh, you know, everybody likes, uh, uh, you know, somebody who speaks nicely to them. Every, nobody likes doing work. Nobody like, you know, there's again exceptions to the rules. Most of them have to do with like, you know, different like mental conditions. But in general, this is how it is for everybody. So be polite, nice to everybody. Don't subject yourself to harm and thereby subject other people to harm as much as you can. That n no one's saying that like, you know, and the, the burden of this is just as much on men as it is with women. One very unfortunate thing is uh, uh, that culturally, uh, Muslims oftentimes in the family, they uh, completely put the burden of these things on their daughters and they don't, you know, their sons are running around doing God knows what. I have, I cannot sympathize with that because my parents basically uh, decided to raise all of us as daughters. And, you know, uh, so I was very sheltered in the way I was growing up. And, like, I think, like, whatever, my mother, like, saw me standing with a girl one time in school and I got beaten up. So <laughs> that was basically the end of that. Um, but the point is, is that, okay, fine. Like, I'm totally, like, I, I totally accept the fact that that's bogus and parents should teach their, their sons uh, hayat just like they teach their daughters. Uh, there may be a little bit more anxiety with women just because physically, if, if uh, for example, if I'm in, if, if, you know, somebody of my height and build is uh, in, finds themselves secluded with a woman, right, of, a, of, of a, like a normal, whatever, strength and proportions, she's not going to be able to overpower me. So there's a little bit, maybe uh, people should recognize that there's a little bit of, of dynamic because of that, because of which women need to be a little bit more cautious. But Aslan, at the end of it, if both people uh, make the niyyah to do something wrong, then uh, God save us. And there's a hadith of Rasulullah wasallam that, that that state is such a bad state that when uh, a believer commits zina, uh, the iman literally leaves their, their heart and it hovers over them and it intervenes be between them and the heavens and if it wasn't for doing that, Allah Ta'ala would have struck that person down in that, in that moment. Um, but at the flip side, also, if you read from the story of the Qur'an, right? The previous hadith we read was of Sayyidina Yusuf alayhi salam. Hafsab, right? You read that, right? Fahammat bihi. What is the ayah? What? Hold on. Clearly. Say it clearly. Uh-huh. What? Wahamma biha lola ara'a burhan rabbi. How does the ayah go? Go ahead. Yeah, so that she was like overwhelmed and like taken by him. And he would have also been taken by her. Was it not that Allah showed uh, that he, he was shown the, the burhan, the, the decisive proof of his Lord? The tafsir of this ayah is that, that uh, literally Allah Ta'ala showed Sayyidina Yusuf the form of his father chastising him that what are you what are you you're going to commit zina with this woman right now right so he's a nabi and he's seen the form of his father who's also a nabi chastising him this is the protection this is what we, we when we say the mbr masum the, the prophets are are divinely protected by error from error it doesn't mean that they themselves are infallible christians believe in infallibility as something in, internal to a person of sainthood we say no everyone's a human being Allah protected him. That this is such a temptation that he's a Nabi and he has to be shown his father who's also a Nabi chastising him in the moment. Otherwise, he would have been taken by her as well. Who here is a Nabi? Raise your hand. 
whose pops is a nubby. Just don't go there. Right? That's the, that's whatever. And I apologize. I know like there's like a lot of issues that are like wrapped up in this and it's not, it's a, not like super PC, but like what are we going to do? It's the dean. Yes? Go ahead. There is, I would just say, make sure it's always in a public place and never, uh, 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 never the, in, the interaction. If, you're, if your goal is only to learn, that the interaction is like you come on time, you leave once it's over, it's always in a public place. Um, this is a, a sensibility that the, the, uh, our Aslaf had. So for example, there are many people in the, in the um, even in Tasawwuf, where there are many uh, women of, of, of remarkable spiritual achievement to the point that, that, that the men used to uh, honor them. Sayyidina al-Hassan al-Basri, he used to give bayan every now and then. He used to give a, a wa'ad. And he, never, he never would give, uh, uh, he never would give uh, uh, his uh, lecture until uh, Rabia al-Adawiyah was there. She was a, one of the pious women of the ummah and a person known for her wilaya. To the point where he used to say, he used to say that uh, uh, most of what I say, uh, it's like wasted. It goes on deaf ears. She's the only person who will understand what I'm teaching. Um, but there are stories in the past where, like for example, someone would come and benefit from one of the from one of the the women of, of knowledge or of taqwa, or uh, you know, come to ask for du'as and things like that for years, and then that that man will make a comment like, "Oh, you're, the clothes you're wearing are so nice." today and then she'll say that's it this is that before you were coming because for something else and now now I'm made aware that your eyes are seeing something other than what you know what you claimed you're looking for go somewhere else uh, get lost uh, obviously not in in such rude words but you know still not mincing words either so um, yeah, I mean, part of me wants to say, like, use your common sense, but common sense not so common. So I, I, w I, w I would just say, like, I would just say, yeah, keep it, keep it, to, keep it to business. Um, I, w I would say this, if, if, if such a person asks you to wear a niqab, you shouldn't take it, like, personally or be offended by that. Because oftentimes the, the reason they're doing it is not because they're trying to like enforce some sort of patriarchy or be culturally insensitive or any. It's like far more practical than that. Um, and uh, I understand myself that there is a there is a, a line that can be crossed where the separation between men and women becomes so so uh, onerous that the sisters essentially get shut out of any sort of benefit from Dean. And uh, 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 again, my, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can give some sort of one-size-fits-all answer, except for like everybody just remember we're in the dunya for a short amount of time. We have to work with one another, help each other out. So you know, people should have some sort of uh, some sort of uh, concern uh, for the for the benefit of one another, and not be completely like selfish. Uh, uh, in, in what they what they what they want, both in their desires or in their overzealous like taqwa for themselves. That uh, you know, so Sayyidina Umar radiAllahu anhu. This is a very important. I mean, this is something that happened. Sayyidina Umar radiAllahu anhu. Yeah, at some point, told the women stop coming to the masjid. 
And uh, uh, this is something that, I guess, because there's so much argument about this and nobody knows how to read books, so the argument becomes like even sillier Alice in Wonderland, silly type argument. So, for example, people say, well, women in the, could, came to the masjid in time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa therefore, having separate women's sections is bid'ah. Okay, well, do you know how the women used to come to the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? They only used to come for two prayers. You can read this if you don't believe me. You can read Abu Walid al-Baji, the Andalusian muhaddith and commentator on the Muwatta. Uh, he wrote in his Muntaqa. Uh, he brings narrations. It's not like he's just talking about it. He brings narrations. So the women used to come for two prayers only, for Isha and for Fajr. And there was no light in the Masjid of the Prophet ﷺ until the seventh year of Hijrah. So less than three years, there was uh, Tamim al-Dari had the idea we should light candles in the, in the Masjid at nighttime. If you light candles in the room, you know, from where me and Bilal are sitting, you cannot make out a face. Right? If it's just like a, a candle, unless you're going to have like super like 80 candles in the room. If it's just like two or three so people don't bump into stuff, right? You're not going to have a lot of candles in the room. And so, uh, 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 in the Fajr of the Prophet Sallallahu it's a narration of the Muatta that they used to pray it so early, because part of Fajr is, it's pretty much like almost day outside. You know, the end part of Fajr, the last half hour of Fajr is almost like daylight outside. So we used to pray Fajr so early that, uh, um, that uh, at this distance you cannot make faces out, outside, much less inside the building. And uh, um, even then, the, the, the women used to come right before the Iqamah and they used to leave right after Salam. You know why the Imam turns to the side and makes zikr before getting up from his place um, is because Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi used to do that. He used to sit, and from his peripheral vision, he would see the women. And once they're all gone, then he would stand up, and the Sahaba knew, okay, now we can leave without jostling them. Uh, and uh, 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 even then, even on top of all of that, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi said what? He said the best place for the best place for the salat of. Uh, uh, a woman is in her home and the place that's more secluded is more reward than the, 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 the place that's not. And this hadith, uh, I, one, one of our preachers, he actually uh, uh, completely erroneously interpreted this hadith as being specifically for one person and he brought narrations that I've never seen in a book before uh, and I called several muhaddithin and said, have you read this before? No, this is, I have no idea where this guy get this from and he actually later issued an apology and then afterward, Allah Ta'ala forgive all of us. And, uh, but the problem is that when you make a mistake, a thousand people hear you and make an apology, like 15 people hear you. So the, the point is, is this is that, no, it's a general pronunciation, or sorry, pronouncement. And uh, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, just like he said that the Salat of the men is better in the masjid than the Salat at home, it doesn't mean praying at home is haram. So the, likewise, it doesn't mean it's haram for a woman to pray in the masjid. If she sees some benefit or needs to get out of the house or whatever, uh, uh, she can pray in the masjid. And it's, it's the mirror of what? Like a man praying at his home. It's not a sin. It's just it's, it's suboptimal. Um, but uh, uh, you know, even on top of all of those circumstances, what happened was that, that Rasulullah said, still, the, the best prayer of the woman is in their home. And the part, secluded part of the house receives more reward than the open part. And even then, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said what? He said, the, uh, uh, um, the, the best of the rows of the men are the front ones, and the worst of the rows of the men are the back ones. 
and the best of the rows of the women are the back ones, and the worst of the rows of the women are the front ones. And even then, Rasulullah also said, don't forbid women from the slave women of Allah Ta'ala from coming to the masjid. So when Sayyidina Umar, so you have to, okay, so these are all disparate data points. You could either say, oh, this conflicts with that. But the fuqaha and the ulama of Islam always said when you have a situation like this, the superior explanation is the one that allows all of the data points to fit into the picture harmoniously rather than, than conflicting with one another. So the idea is that, yes, it is superior for, for a woman to pray at home in, in seclusion. But if, for example, uh, you know, there's going to be a, a talk or a class of benefit in the masjid, they can come. And if they pray in the masjid, it's not like they committed a sin. It's just that they, you know, they did something. Like my wife, for example, she studied for seven years in Madrasa. She speaks classical Arabic fluently with somewhat of a Desi accent, but still fluently. Uh, and uh, uh, mashallah, she studied a lot. And uh, um, you couldn't tell if you met her. I think some of the sisters here may have met her because she's not like super like sheikh up in your face and giving bayans about everything all the time like I am. And, uh, but mashallah, she's like very learned. When she goes to the masjid, if there's like, a, a, like one of the ulama comes and visits and she wants to hear them speak, even if the prayer time comes, she'll pray separately from the congregation because she knows that she'll receive more reward doing that. It doesn't mean that if you pray with the congregation, there's anything necessarily wrong with it. Um, but if there's a benefit, go ahead and go. No one should stop you. The benefit could be just as much as like, for example, you know, who feels as spiritual at home as they do in the masjid? And mothers, it's even worse because, like, the, you know, the kids are constantly, they don't let you go, this and that. You need, like, 15 minutes to get away or whatever. And fine, go, go. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So Sayyidina Umar, why did he tell the women stop coming to the masjid? He told the women stop coming to the masjid. He didn't bar them. He just told them stop coming. And the women went and complained to Sayyidina Aisha, Right? We're going to start Women's March now, right? So they went to complain to Sayyidina Aisha, that this is, she's going to, like, go to bat for us. Because it was known Sayyidina Umar who had the utmost respect for the, the mothers of the believers. And if they said something to him, he didn't, he didn't say anything back ever. He never said anything back. He'd just be quiet and listen. That's it. Done. In, in, the, in the last year of his Khilafah, before he was assassinated, he uh, actually uh, uh, himself f paid for all of them to go and make Hajj uh, uh, in, the, in the official Caliphil uh, caravan and things like that. He used, to, he used to take very good care of them and he used to uh, honor them and he used to not give them a hard time. Uh, rather, he would, he would uh, show them like, so much respect and deference that, like, uh, that he would never said anything back to them. What did Sayyidina Aisha say? She said, if Rasulullah knew the way you're coming to the masjid nowadays, he would have himself told you not to go. What does that mean? That means, again, there's no hard and fast rule. The hard and fast rule is what? If there's khalt, if people are mixed in with one another, that's haram. After that, if someone gave me the, the, the uh, uh, what you call the uh, ikhtiyar, the choice, I would have had a, a barrier between the men and the women. It would be like a screen or something like that, that the men exit. Uh, at a different time, the women exit at a different time, uh, and you know they don't see one another or whatever. But at the same time, I'm not going to waltz into somebody else's uh, show and be like, "Oh, stuff for Allah, I'm out of here. I'm this and that." I mean, we were guests in Turkey, right, in the Molawi Khana. So I'm not going to be like, "Oh, how dare you guys have this? This is horrible. Don't you guys know Hadith, this, that, and the other thing?" Why? Because what I read from the Hadith and what seems to be the the mafhum from the 
a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi with this regards to this, which we'll talk about later on when we talk about the the, the limbs of the heart, um, is that look, you know, everybody has to just work with each other and like have some sort of respect for one another and like have some sort of common sense and things like that, and we'll we'll get through it. You know what I mean? If you're going to alienate all the sisters by putting up a, a, a parda because they, you know, then don't do it. And if, uh, you know, if, but on the flip side, if it's going to be like, okay, uh, 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 following someone on Twitter turns into like direct message, turns into like WhatsApp at three in the morning, then nobody should, nobody should like pretend like something wrong is not happening here. I don't care how wonderful and pious your sheikh is. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will uh, 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 you know, the person who doesn't fear him, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll teach that person the lesson of why he should have feared him. And uh, uh, Allah protect all of us. وعن ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يقول اللهم إني أسألك الهدى والتقى والعفاف والغنى وعن أبي الطريف عدي بن حاتم الطائي رضي الله عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول من حلف على يمين ثم رأى أتقى لله منها فليأت التقوى رواه مسلم so the two hadith left in this bab inshallah the first one by Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu who said that that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to it was a habit of his to make the dua oh Allah indeed I ask you for guidance and for 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 uh, taqwa, for your fear, that I should fear you. Wal afaf, and virtue, and meaning that I should be a, 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 a person of ifa, not a person who hankers after the dunya, and it's all of its different forms, previously mentioned forms, rather a person who, like their virtue, makes them a person of the akhirah. Wal ghina, then I ask you for, for freedom from need. It's a very short dua. Everyone should memorize it, inshallah. Allah ma'ani as'aluka, as'aluka al-huda wa'l-tuqa wa'l-afafa wa'l-ghina. This is what you, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa used to ask for all the time. The idea is that your taqwa is something also, like tawbah is something Allah Ta'ala does for you and then you do it. Just like that taqwa is also a capacity Allah Ta'ala gifts you. And so you should ask Him for it all the time. And He'll give it to you. Uh, uh, and He'll give it to you. Um, You know, and by the way, you know, like all these things, all these, oh my God, this is haram, that's haram, the dunya, and now I can't have a Lexus anymore, and like I have to whatever, and blah, 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 and now I have to stick it in the eye of capitalism, so I'm going to have to wear a niqab from now on, and like, oh, I like, you know, I saw a girl at school, I'm going to hell, and all this thing. The point of all of this is what? Uh, uh, this is all for our benefit. يوم القيامة الله تعالى says in his book he says طاها ما أنزلنا عليك القرآن لتشقى so ya ya Muhammad I didn't send the Quran onto you عليك الصلاة والسلام I didn't send the Quran onto you so that you could be wretched that Allah تعالى wanted the kafir to have fun and then he's going to fry him and he wanted the believers to like have a horrible time and then you'll go to Jannah later no right if you understand why you're doing what you're doing then you're no longer miserable doing it 
if you don't understand why, it's going to be misery. There's so many people like, oh, I gave up. I couldn't deal with it anymore. I'm tired of feeling bad about having a burger at Burger King. And I'm tired of feeling guilty about, like, you know, uh, this and that. And everything in Islam is haram. And, like, I'm just done with it. And Allah will forgive me. Or some people, when they're done with it, like, they actually, like, leave the deen and stuff. It's for your own benefit. It's for your own good. Uh, it's for it really it's for your own if you understand how how beneficial it is for you and how good good it is for you in this world as well as the hereafter then you won't feel so bad about it and if you slip up and trip up you'll be you'll still won't like want to uh, abandon the whole program right uh, uh, so uh, uh, it's not it's not so that you you be wretched otherwise why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have made if the point is that a, every believer should be wretched and like like you know feel horrible all the time why would Allah Ta'ala make uh, you know, marriage lawful? Why would Allah Ta'ala make it lawful for a person to spend their wealth on so many things? Why would Allah Ta'ala uh, you know, uh, give a person Jannah forever and ever? Right? Christians find, find our notion of Jannah to be almost ludicrous. Because every, every single shahwa and every single desire a person has indulged in Jannah. So what is this? I thought you guys were all spiritual people. What do you want us to play the harp and read the Bible all day? Come on, that sounds like that sounds like a punishment. You guys don't even like doing that. Why would we want to do it? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's not it's not it's not the reason. Allah Taala didn't give anyone la ilaha illallah except for He wants the best for that person. These things are for our own good, and they're mercy from Allah Taala. And you know, like sometimes some someone gives you good advice, and you know you're not even going to take it. You know, like people come to me like, Sheikh, you should get more exercise and eat right. And I'm like, yo, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right? Because the person, they said it because they love you. It's not because, you know, they want you to, if they wanted you to go down, they would have bought you a pack of cigarettes, you know? Uh, 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 so you know, even if you're not going to take the advice sometimes, like, you know, you should appreciate that this is not, it's for your own good. It's not like somebody hates you. They're not hating on you. That's why Allah Ta'ala like, wants you to, like, live horrible or whatever. And that's why he's making life into like twisting a knife in your back and making it real horrible and they say don't worry it'll be Jannah in the end no this is there's in all of these things doing them is so beautiful even struggling to get there is beautiful even loving that even if you're not able to do it yourself even the love of these things makes a person beautiful in the eyes of Allah Ta'ala it makes them beautiful also just as a human being and if you don't believe me look at the people who don't care about these things anymore how those people they are able to do such ugly things uh, Allah Ta'ala be our protection the last hadith in this bab is narrated by Adi bin Hatim al-Ta'i. Hatim al-Ta'i was the legendary hero of the Arabs. He was the paragon of, of virtue amongst the Arabs before Islam. After Islam came, their, their, the model shifted, right? But Hatim was what all of the, 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 the heroic traits that, that the Arabs used to value. Hatim was like the legendary uh, example of that. And uh, uh, Adi bin Hatim actually took the battlefield against the, the Muslims, and he was he was uh, uh, arrested, not arrested, sorry, imprisoned, and taken as a captive because they lost. You're not going to win against the Sahaba radiallahu It doesn't work that way. So uh, when it was brought to Rasulullah sallallahu attention that Adi is uh, 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 one of the captives. He commanded, he, he commanded Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, commanded that, that treat him well because wallahi his father, his father was a man who loved good character. 
Meaning even Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, 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 appreciated, you know, how, how uh, noble of a person Hatim al-Ta'i was. And uh, uh, he, was, he was such a generous man. Uh, it said that he uh, one time, uh, um, he owned a horse. It was the fastest horse of all the Arabs. And to this day, the Arabian horses are the, 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 the fastest horses out, around. And uh, um, so the Roman emperor sent a, 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 an ambassador to find this Hatim who had this fastest horse around and offer him anything, anything he asked for. Anything, he, any price he asked for. Name his own price and get his horse from him. So what happens, this guy goes in the Arabian desert, has no idea what's going on. I mean, he's coming from Rome and he's, the Arabian desert is even a desolate place even for like ancient times standards. So he gets lost and he gets rescued by a Bedouin who nurses him back to health and feeds him this big meal. And, uh, uh, you know, he's like, well, why did you help me? He says, this is what we do. You know, we honor our guests. And so he says that, he says, well, what are you doing here? He says, I'm looking for Hatim al-Ta'i. Uh, I come a, a, on behalf of the, the emperor of, uh, of, of Constantinople in order to offer him whatever price he asked for for his horse. And so he says, I'm Hatim al-Ta'i. And you just ate the horse. <laughs> he says, that we honor our guests. I had nothing else to feed you, so you just ate the horse. So that's, that's how generous of a man he was. So, so this, this Adi bin Hatim, actually, the Rasulullah will free him, and he, uh, he will become Muslim later on. Uh, he'll go back to his people, and then he'll, he, he'll, sorry, he'll accept Islam, and then he'll go back to his people and call them to the deen. And he'll tell them that, that all of you accept Islam because this Muhammad والسلام, is such a man, he, he's so generous, he gives without fear of poverty. Which is a big statement coming from the son of Hatim al-Ta'i. Right? So he became very good friends, especially with Sayyidina Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he narrates a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he said, I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, if any of you ever swears an oath, I swear to God I'm going to do this, or I swear by Allah I'm going to do that. And then they find another, uh, another course of action that would, be, that would be more in line with the fear of Allah Ta'ala. Oh, I swear to God I'm never going to talk to my whatever relatives again. Or I swear to God I'm never going to give charity to such and such person again. Or I swear to God I'm going to this that. People swear oaths about all sorts of things, right? So in, this requires a little bit of fiqh, but in fiqh if a person swears an oath to do something, uh, uh, um, this is not another, but it's a yameen. Another is a swearing an oath to do an act of worship. Those you have to fulfill. But if you swear uh, something, that something's true or false, or I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that from other things, um, if you swear something that cannot be fulfilled or isn't true, then the kafara, the expiation for that is that you have to either feed or close six indigent people. Uh, and if you can't do that, you fast for three days. And uh, 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 so Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was saying that if one of you, because the Arabs used to consider, consider it to be a, a, a sign of their, their worth that they religiously fulfill their oaths. The problem is they used to swear all sorts of crazy things like this. Oh, I swear to God, I'm going to drink wine out of so-and-so's skull. Okay, drinking wine is haram. Killing people is haram. Drinking out of their skull is gross and like sick and uh, uh, going to send you to jail and probably, you know, there's like a whole bunch of like wrong stuff going on there, right? So if you do that, Rasulullah's teaching was that uh, uh, there's no dishonor in breaking your oath and then, and then doing the expiation and, and 
moving to a different course of action if that course of action is more in line with the fear of Allah Ta'ala. That's what he was trying to say. Inshallah. Um, I think we will we will stop here and I'll take questions for the next like whatever 23 minutes inshallah because inevitably people have all sorts of questions. <laughs>